Welcome to Entrepreneur Decoded, the show where you'll find real conversations with today's most successful entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from unforgettable personal stories to exact strategies they use on a daily basis. Here's your host, Simon Sander. Hey, this is Simon, and thank you so much for joining me once again. This episode is made possible by OscarHamilton.com. They edit and produce all of our podcast episodes. So if you have a podcast or you're thinking about starting one, check out OscarHamilton.com. And now, let's get into the show. Today's featured guest is Max Major. Welcome, Max. Hello. Max is a mentalist living in Washington, D.C. His performances, which combine magic, mentalism, and hypnosis, are featured at corporate events across the country. In addition to his studies as a magician, he relies heavily on his skills at reading body language, which he has honed over the course of 2,000 live shows. Uh, Max, take a minute to fill in some gaps from that intro and tell us a bit more about yourself. That was pretty good. So I, I'm an entertainer at my core. Uh, I suppose I'm, I'm one part entertainer, one part entrepreneur. Uh, but really, entrepreneurship is a skill I had to learn um, so that I could do what it is that I love. It's sort of something that maybe didn't come naturally to me, um, but being an entertainer did. So uh, yeah, I perform at corporate events all across the country, uh, really high-end private events as well. Um, these could be huge stage shows, or these could be sort of intimate dinner parties for billionaires somewhere in Beverly Hills. Um, so it's a really wide range of performances, but at my core, uh, I'm an entertainer. So Max, uh, let's go back on your journey a bit. Uh, how did you get into hypnosis and the mentalism in the first place? Yeah, so I'm a mentalist, uh, which is sort of an allied art to to magic. And as a kid, um, I, I picked up magic as a hobby. So I think every kid learns a card trick or a, a magic trick or something like this. But for me, it, it really spoke to me. It really connected to my personality, not magic, but entertainment, you know, being able to light up a room or get people to laugh. Um, and so this was the very beginning. And this is where I learned sort of showmanship and confidence and presentation. Um, but what really changed things for me was when I was, uh, I was 18 years old, my dad, actually went to get hypnotized so that he could quit smoking. And uh, it worked. And, uh, and I was fascinated by this. I mean, he had tried everything. And uh, my, my dad was never good at quitting anything in life. And so this was, was shocking because he went and he talked to this guy. You know, he didn't tell us. He just, he just went to see this guy. And he came home. And after seemingly a single conversation, he never smoked again. And I was fascinated by this. I mean, I felt like whatever happened in that room, that to me was like real magic. You know, like what, what was I doing bothering with card tricks? If you could change someone's life with your words, then maybe this is something I should look into. And so that sent me down a uh, sort of different path. I learned hypnosis. From there, I started studying uh, body language and, and psychology and persuasion. And uh, that's really what mentalism is. It's sort of a marriage of the performance side of magic with the uh, understanding of, of human nature, of who we are, of how we're wired, of, of how we all uh, make decisions. We have a lot of people in the audience who have different skill sets, uh, different passions. And the question always is, how can we take those passions and make a living out of it? Uh, you were passionate about magic and mentalism, hyp hypnosis. How were you able to take your interests and turn them into revenue? Walk us through that process. That is the greatest challenge for everyone who has something they love. You know, you say, well, I really love cooking or I really love music 
or I really love making these paintings, but, but how do I make a living at that? And the truth is that I, I never started with that question. I didn't really care about that question. I just figured I was having so much fun that I'd figure the rest out later. And I think sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves trying to figure out how. How are we going to do this? Okay, I know that I like performing, but how can I earn a living do this? And, and I think that's really what stops many of us from taking action on our dreams is we get so caught up in, in worrying about how that we never actually take the first step. And, and really, the, the truth is, the only thing that's important is your vision. It's kind of where you want to go and most importantly, sort of why it matters to you and what your life would be like you know, if you did make this change or you did take this leap. Because if you do that, if you're really clear on, on what you want and why you want it, then how actually becomes the easy part. Like the part that we spend so much time worrying about actually becomes so easy. It almost happens automatically because, you know, we have this incredible energy. We're clear on where we want to go and why it's important to us. And then the how suddenly just works itself out. And not in any sort of mystical or esoteric way. It's just that at the end of the day, strategy isn't really that important in business. It's really your underlying psychology that's going to determine sort of success or failure. And you could have the best tools, you could have the worst tools, but if you have a shitty attitude, then it, it doesn't matter. You know, none of that matters. Um, and so for me, I, I really just approached it at first without worrying about money. And I think that's the mistake a lot of people make is how am I going to make a living doing this? Um, but then, you know, the next step for me was to, you know, of course, uh, over time to grow that into a business. And so I actually uh, went to college uh, to study business because I figured, you know, if I, if I wanted to do this thing that I loved, I should probably learn the basics of, of running a business. But in reality, I learned most of what I know sort of in the real world. And so I think oftentimes we get stuck on thinking we have to have a big idea. We have to invent the next Facebook, the next Instagram. You know, the stories of entrepreneurs these days are all about technology, about big ideas. But the truth is, you can earn a living doing whatever it is that you love, uh, and you're going to have a blast doing it. And so um, I would say the real key was not worrying about how. It was just about getting better, focusing on the craft, building relationships, um, and sort of giving it everything I had. And the rest sort of worked out. And so if you look at where I'm at now, it it it's really been a progression for the last 20 years. You know, I did my first show. I was I was 14. I'm I'm 33 years old now, and uh, it it took a long time, but it it didn't matter. Like even when I was making less money than all of my friends right after college, you know, I I turned down really great jobs. I graduated with honors, um, and I I went to start my own business. And at that moment, at that exact moment, I was probably making a lot less money than my friends. And for many years, I was making a lot less money than my friends. But guess who was happier? Max, uh, by today, you've done more than 2,000 speaking gigs, which is quite fascinating. But besides that, you put out some amazing content online, and especially on YouTube. Um, before this interview, I was looking through everything you've done online, and uh, I came across this YouTube video where uh, you were walking down the streets of, I think, New York, and you asked a bunch of people to uh, to think of something in their head without telling you, and you guessed it right away. There was this guy who who had a dog when he was growing up, and you guessed the dog's name, even though the dog was long gone. How the heck do you do that? <laughs> oh, what's the old cliche? If I told you, I'd have to what? 
Um, you know, the, the truth is the only secret that I have is, uh, is a lot of practice. You know, this is something I've been working on for, for many, many years. Um, that specifically is sort of one of my, my sort of signature pieces, but, but everything I do, it builds off of this foundation first as a magician. Uh, but then from the sort of skills I learned later in life, um, probably the two most important skills, uh, as a performer and really just in business and in life. What would be first uh, my ability to read people, and so that's body language, that's facial expressions, it's eye accessing cues, micro expressions, you know, all of the information you can get from someone. The the second piece of what I do is is my ability to influence people or suggest ideas to people, and it's so it's your ability to get an idea inside someone's head in a way that it, it feels like their own. Um, but you know, funny enough, those are also the same skills that I, I believe for anyone are most important to succeed in uh, business, in relationships, uh, in life. Because what we're really talking about is, is communication. Now, obviously, what I'm doing is taking it to the next level, um, you know, after years and years of study and practice. But, but really, anyone could learn to, to read someone uh, with just a, a basic understanding of body language. You can start to pick up on uh, just little cues from someone and really have deeper conversations with the, the people in your lives. Max, you take the game of magic to the whole new level. You're not going up to people and asking them to take a number from 1 to 10 and then then guess it. You're doing crazy things. Give us some more insights. I know you can't tell us exact process, but fill us in a bit. Yeah, so almost everything I do relies on my ability to uh, look at that person to be in the same room with them. There's only so much you can gain from tone of voice. Uh really you know, as, as you know from your own life, and we've heard many times these, these studies that show uh, up to 90% of what's being communicated is not the words that someone's using, it's the nonverbals, it's the body language, it's their tone of voice, it's the way they carry themselves. Um, and so, you know, not having all of those extra cues, I'd be at a tremendous disadvantage just, for example, over the phone. Max, and you've had a lot of freaking practice. Uh, 2,000 live shows by today? Yeah, I, I think I actually hit 2000 about uh about two years ago um you know and i'm doing you know a few hundred shows a year now um starting to slow down as i'm sort of switching gears in in my career uh sort of moving from the direction uh of private events and and gigs so to speak towards um launching my own broadway show and so uh the goal right now my, my current goal is to um to launch a, a hit broadway show which uh, I signed a deal. Uh, we're looking for a venue now. It should be launching at the end of end of the year, but that will be um, a whole new uh, ball game for me. We'll be doing uh, eight shows a week. Uh, you know, that's about 400 shows a year uh, in the course of a year, and uh, really going to have to pick up the pace. It's going to be really intense. Max, you're well known in the industry now. You have a big social media following. People know who you are. But I'm sure it wasn't easy to get those gigs in the first place. Uh, tell me about the early days. Okay, so this is the most important piece, and this is the thing that everybody misses. Um, I think that as a performer, or let's go broader, as a creative, let's say you're a graphic designer, for example, you design websites, okay? Um, we'd like to think that as an artist, that all we need to do is just get really, really good at our craft, and then people will want to hire us, Right. But I had a mentor very early on in my career uh, who told me, you can be the greatest magician in the world, but if no one knows your name, you'll never work. 
And it's a really valuable lesson because as an artist, you really want to get better at your craft. Like you want to practice the moves. You want to practice the techniques. You want to learn the new software if you're a designer. And if you spend all of your time solely just working on your skills, you're missing out on really the most important piece of it, which is the business. You know, they call it show business for a reason because it's one part performance and the other part is business. And I think that in many ways, it's actually the business side of it that's more important than the craft. I mean, we'd obviously like it to be the reverse, that it was entirely a meritocracy. But, I, you know, how many great, talented uh, performers do you know that never work? And how many untalented performers, we won't name names, do you know, that are always busy, that are always working? And so I'm not saying you shouldn't get better at your craft, but really it's the business side of it that is the most critical factor for your success. And it's not something that we're taught. You know, it's not something that uh, we're taught when we're growing up and it's a skill you really have to learn. Um, and so that's the first piece of it is to really get hyper focused on learning, learning marketing, learning business, learning to sell. Right. Learning to hire people. So you're not you're doing it all yourself. Um, that's the first piece of it. The, the second piece of it, I would say, sort of the second mistake that a lot of entertainers or, or even entrepreneurs make is to spend all of their time working on uh, digital marketing and digital networking. So uh, you could spend all of your time on Facebook and Google ads and building a beautiful website and SEO. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, nothing is going to be more impactful than real world face to face networking. Um, so my second piece of advice would be to step away from the keyboard and get out from the computer and get outside of your house and go to an event where you can meet other people in your industry uh, in person, face-to-face, -face, because there, there is no substitute for the, the strength of the connection that you'll make in an environment like that. And so one of the real keys to my success in building my business has been networking events. You know, when I was first starting, I would go to, you know, a half dozen events in a week. And it doesn't have to just be your industry. So, for example, if you're a speaker or a performer, you can go to events for the for the you can go to events for the special events industry where you meet event planners. Um, but you can even go broader than that, because really anyone is a potential customer. And you're not just looking for customers. You're looking to build relationships, you know, people who could tell someone else about what you do. So you can go to even a general business networking event and you can start to form relationships and 90% of the work I get still to this day comes from referrals comes from someone seeing me perform you know I do a great job you have to be world-class at what you do like that's that's something you should never stop working on your craft um, but you also got to make sure that you're they're meeting people and so most of my work uh, today and again most of my work when I was just starting was a result of other performances, and if and if I wasn't performing, then I was out there meeting people. And so I'm either meeting people at a show and handing out business cards. You're doing a great job, deliver a great service. They see it firsthand. They think, "Wow, I got to hire this guy." And then you stay in touch. Then you sort of roll those relationships into the digital platforms. So now you connect with them on LinkedIn and Facebook, and you use those tools. But those are really just tools. Um, and so, really, my version of social networking is like it starts with meeting people in the real world and then I funnel them into those channels, whether it's my email list, my Facebook, my LinkedIn, my YouTube, um, and then you use that to sort of uh, deepen the relationship with them to stay in touch. But at the end of the day, um, 
It's all referrals and face-to-face networking. Yeah, two really important points. Uh, first, learn the business side and then know and meet people face-to-face. And that's something we can forget really easily in the internet era. Something I'm wondering about right now, Max, is how much self-promotion you do today? So still to this day, uh, I'm going to probably last month I went to four networking events. Uh, a lot of times I'll choose to sponsor the networking event. So rather than just attending, you actually sort of provide your service. So if you run a catering company or you're a photographer, you approach the person who organizes the networking event and you say, hey, how would you love to have a photographer take pictures of the event tonight? So now you're there attending the event, right? So you're still networking, but you're also there with your camera And now people are seeing you do your things. And then after the event, your photos go out and everyone sees the beautiful work that you do. So now you're there in a little bit more of an official capacity. You stand out a little more than the 200 other people that are there. So that's a great hack to use for a networking event is to get yourself involved either as a volunteer or as a sponsor. It usually doesn't cost anything so that you you stand out uh, above the pack. How much uh, free work did you have to do uh, or you did when you were starting off? Okay, so I still, you said starting off, I still do free work. Um, I think that it's one of the greatest sources of business you can possibly do. Um, I think that you hear performers and creatives and entrepreneurs say all the time um, this line. They say, if you work for free, then you're worth nothing. And I think that the people who are saying this and the people who object to uh, working for free uh, actually aren't working. So it's the sort of uh, uh, armchair critics, the people who like talk about it rather than do it, because everybody I know that's actually out there doing it gives it away. Now, maybe over time, you become more selective about how and when and where you give it away. But look, there's a lot of very valid reasons to, to work for free. Uh, one is exposure. So maybe the people who are in there in that room uh, could change your life. So for example, if you were called to volunteer for an event of, uh, you know, a charity event in Washington, D.C., and you knew there were going to be a lot of senators and congressmen there, that might be a really good crowd to perform for. And so even though the person organizing it might not have a budget, genuinely, the people you could meet in that room could change your life. So the one reason to do it is, is the people that are going to be in the crowd. Now, another reason to do it is to just get stage time. You know, you can't go from zero to world class without actually working on a stage or speaking in front of an audience. And so at some level, you actually just need reps. You just need to get in the reps. And so in the very early stage, a reason to do free work might be because you just want to get on a stage, right? You just want a chance because how good can you get delivering uh, a speech to the mirror? How good can you get delivering it to your video camera? You need to get in front of a real crowd. And so getting in reps is a very good reason to do it. Um, Another reason to do it might be press. You know, maybe there's cameras there. Maybe there's someone there who could interview about the show. You know, another way to do this is if someone asks you to work for free, you can actually ask for something in exchange. So you can say, sure, I would love to do this. But all that I ask is that maybe you send out an email to everyone that's attending with my website so they know that I was there. Or, you know, you could ask, hey, do you guys have someone there who's taking photos or videos? Well, all that I ask is that if I volunteer that I get a copy of the video. So guess what? Now you have your video footage of you on a big stage with a big crowd that you can turn into your speaking reel. Um, And so uh, again, to this day, I still volunteer for events. You know, another reason to volunteer might be that uh, it's a cause you believe in. Maybe it's a charity you really support. 
Maybe it's a charity for cancer and you have a relative who suffered from this. Um, and so you find that's a cause that you could get behind and something that you could lend your gift to. So many reasons to work for free. Uh, I still do it today. And uh, it's one of the best ways to get your name out there, to get some experience and uh, to, to work on your craft, make connections. Um, just dozens and dozens of reasons to work for free. Max, uh, it's been a pleasure talking about magic and mentalism. But now at this point in the conversation, I want to understand how does your life look like today and what do you do daily to be successful? So let's start with your morning routine. Could you walk us through that? My mornings have are a bit of a mess. Uh, they've been a bit of a mess for a long time, and I've been working to fix that. Uh, part of the reason is my my travel schedule, um, is that I'm in different time zones. My shows are late at night sometimes, and so I don't have a regular sleeping schedule. So that's sort of my first challenge. And so uh, I've been trying to get more disciplined about when I go to bed, but it's not always under my control. Sometimes it's dictated by other people. Um, but the most basic version of the perfect morning for me, which I try to stick to, uh, is that, uh, I wake up somewhere, uh, between probably if I were to be honest, seven and eight 30. Um, I'm not a morning person. I, I just, uh, have over time just tried to change that. And, uh, that's as close as I've gotten. I've never been able to do the five or 6 AM, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with the seven or eight. Um, and, uh, I wake up and I avoid my phone. I avoid my laptop and I give myself the first hour or two hours of my day for me. Um, and so I'm not so structured that I know, okay, I'm going to journal. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to this. It's just essentially, I'm going to fill that first two hours of my day with things that make me feel better for the rest of the day. And so there are some common themes. Those might be eating breakfast, walking my dog, reading a little, maybe journaling uh, occasionally, uh, but I don't have a strict sort of order I do it in. My only rule is really to, to spend the first two hours of my day, no matter when I wake up, doing things to put myself in a better state of mind, better energy level, to sort of position me better for the rest of the day. And I didn't always do this. I, I used to jump out of bed and get to work, right? Grab the phone, grab the computer, get to it. The day's wasting. I don't want to waste any time. You got to go. And what I found was um, just taking that time for myself, that two hours, like not starting my day rushing, right? It had a tremendous impact on just my outlook for the day, how clear I was about what I was doing that day, how I was spending my time. Uh, I always, when I was sort of beginning as an entrepreneur, felt like I was like, I had to get to it right away that, you know, I didn't want to waste the day. But it's really, you know, taking those couple of hours for yourself. Uh, to put yourself in a good mood, to get your energy up, to do things that bring you pleasure before you do things that other people require of you. Uh, one of the most critical critical parts of uh, my morning. Max, I see. How about during the day? What are some habits you pursue day in and day out? So I'll give a little context. Uh, I have one full-time employee uh, who handles my sales and operations. So all of my, my booking is done in-house. And uh, I've experimented with outside agents and managers. Uh, this is sort of uh, the formula I've come to that works really well for me. So we are uh, a two-person team. And I try to really focus my energy on the things that only I can do. Um, and the things that only I can do are to perform. So it's the, the actual performances. So that's a part of my day when they're scheduled. Um, it's to create. It's to write. It's to brainstorm. It's to collaborate. Um, it's to think about the direction of my business overall. It's to work on new projects. Um, and I try really hard to draw a strict line in the sand 
between those activities and the activities of operating my business. And so really wearing the hat of, of an owner and of a creator um, as often as possible and not being an operator. And really that's a tremendous shift uh, that I made probably in the last six months of my life um, to really start to create space in my life so that I could I could create more. And, I, and, and the reality of starting a business is in the beginning you wear all the hats. Um, and for years I wore all the hats. I did the accounting and the marketing. I performed the shows. I did the sale. I got the contract. Um, you know, I had to show up. I had to do the performance. I had to chase down the money afterwards. And that's the reality of, of getting started. Um, but as soon as possible, I started to hire people who could support me and take some of that off of my plate. Um, but I, I sort of had this limiting belief that like no one could do anything as good as me. Like, um, you know, like, oh, well, I, I have to do the sales because no one can sell me as good as me. Is that true? Is that really true? I'm pretty good. But maybe there's somebody out there who's as good as me, or ideally, maybe there's someone out there who's better at this than me and who enjoys this more than me. Um, accounting being a great example. There are people out there who love numbers. I'm, I'm not one of those people. Um, and so finding outside vendors to take off those functions, hiring internally to cover those things, tremendous shift in my life. And so now my days are filled with um, you know, scheduled meetings and appointments. Those generally are sort of collaborative meetings on the bigger projects I'm working on, which is uh, a television special that I'm uh, developing right now and the Broadway show happening at the end of the year. And then for the most part, um, the, the running of my business, my core business, which is my shows, my bookings is uh, through uh, my employee, Daniel. And uh, I fill my days with whatever brings me joy. So I, I try to, you know, of course, take action on things that move the big projects forward, but I don't wake up each day with a plan and I don't plan the night before what I'm going to do that day. I, I literally wake up and, you know, I have my sort of outcomes list and my big projects. And of course, I do the work that's required to respond to emails and meet deadlines. But outside of that, um, it's really how am I feeling today? Today, do I want to read? Today, do I want to collaborate? Do I want to film something? Do I want to brainstorm? Um, and so I really operate by feel. And so I'm very clear, you know, each month and each week uh, where my life is going and what needs to be done on big projects. But outside of the things that have to happen at a certain time, uh, I really operate by feel. Um, and so that's kind of how I navigate day to day. I think uh, that's the freedom that only entrepreneurs and people who are financially independent can have. You can operate by feel, not that someone is telling you to do something. Another important point that Max, you mentioned was that there comes a time in every entrepreneur's life when they have to make a decision. Is it really worth doing everything on my own? So and hard. it's really hard to give up the keys to your business, but trust me, it's worth it. It changes everything. You know what? Something that made a big shift for me in, in this this mindset was I always looked at hiring as something I would do when I could afford it. Okay. So you, you think, okay, well the business isn't generating enough money right now, so I can't hire anyone. Um, but in reality, hiring is a decision you make as an investment. So it's not a cost. It's not like I have this cost of bringing this new person on. Ideally it's an investment that when you make this investment in this person, whoever they are, that it actually allows you to make more money. And so if they do what their job description is, you will be able to pay for them in the future. And so um, every time I hired someone, I felt like I should have done it sooner. 
Um, and I also feel like um, it's it's not this this mindset shift from it being hiring being an expense to it being an investment uh, is really huge. And so, um, you know, the advantage is this. Let's pretend that you have a business and you're the solopreneur. You're doing everything yourself. Um, you have, let's say you have a bakery, okay, and you're making delicious cupcakes, but you're doing the orders, you're filling the orders, you're operating out of your kitchen, you're doing everything yourself, the sales, you're making it, right? And you think, okay, I want to hire someone to do sales for me, and it's going to cost me $45,000 to hire this person, Okay. Well, number one, if they do their job, they're going to make you a lot more than $45,000, right? Number two, you actually don't need $45,000 to hire someone at $45,000 a year. You just need enough money to cover them for the first three months, right? Because if they don't do their job in the first three months, they're fired. So literally, the $45,000, let's say you need something like ten or $15,000. So that actually, for a lot of entrepreneurs might be a little easier to swallow. Like, okay, all right, I don't need to save up 45 grand for the annual salary. I just need to save up enough to pay this person for three months. That'll give them enough time to get up and running. And if they do their job, which is sales, then you'll actually, they'll be making you more money than they're costing you and they're sort of justifying their own employment. If they don't, then either uh, they weren't the right person or uh, maybe uh, you your business isn't ready, okay? Those would be sort of two things, and it's an investment. It's something you would learn. Um, so that's the other piece of it. But the last piece of it is just letting go. I think it's our ego that tells us, like, no one can do this as good as me. Like, ah, nobody. And, and the truth is it doesn't serve you when you try to do everything yourself. It doesn't serve your customers. It doesn't serve your employee. And so what will happen is you'll hire that first person, but you still do way too much. You, like, take things back from them because you feel like they're not as good as, it is as you would be. Um, but what you're doing is you're sort of handicapping them. Because you're never giving them a chance to make mistakes. And if you don't give people a chance to fail, then they're not going to learn anything. And so you do have to swallow your pride a little bit. And you have to be willing for them to learn the hard way so that ultimately they're going to be able to do it as, as good as you. But if you do everything for them and you hold their hand, they're never going to learn. And you're always going to be married to your business. And it's going to be impossible to uh, wake up and ask yourself, what do I feel like doing today? And so in many ways... It's uh, it's the ego. It's letting go of that that will really allow you to do it. And, and the last piece about hiring is that you can structure someone's compensation in a way that literally costs you nothing. So when I hired my first full-time employee, I've always had part-time assistants and contractors over the years. But about a year and a half ago, I, fi I hired my first full-time employee. And here's this magic formula for hiring. You take your cost of living. What does it take you to live, eat, rent? No fun, just the basics to get by, right? Um, and then you take, what are the costs of my business? You add those up. You get this number, right? And then you say, what's the base salary I would need to hire a person of the caliber that I want? And then you roll that in, and then you get your, your monthly number. So let's pretend that that number is $10,000, okay? So you, you know that for your personal cost of living, the cost of operating your business, and the cost of this person's base salary that you need to make $10,000 a month, okay? You hire this person with the base salary where they aren't pay where they're also paid in commission, but their commission doesn't start until after they've done $10,000 in sales each month. Does this make sense? So in other words, they're not costing you anything. 
they're basically they're, you're breaking even by having this person. And then everything they do above that magic break even number of $10,000 a month or whatever your number is, then they begin to get compensated on that. And so they literally have endless upside to their compensation. You can advertise this as a really great job instead of just the small base salary that it is. And if they're not performing, they're not costing you anything. So the worst case scenario is they lighten your workload and you make the same exact amount of money that you did before. Uh, the upside is it doesn't cost you anything. Right. So is that the same process you follow to hire the employee you have today? That is that is the that is the form the formula I used to hire my first full time employee was my personal expenses the business expenses plus this person's base salary I'm just making up a number uh, let's say that works out to you to ten thousand dollars a month then you tell them look you're paid this base that you already calculated plus uh, X percent of sales above ten thousand dollars a month and so in other words their employment is justified by them hitting that minimal number and then everything above that now so now it's not i have to come up with 75 grand to pay this person it's no we have this small base and then their income is derived off of their performance and so it's not a cost center it's actually as they make more money you make more money um it's just a brilliant way to hire a salesperson uh no matter where you're currently at in your business max it's been pleasure having you on the show if you could leave our audience with just one final takeaway one final thought what would that be demand more of yourself than other people would deem reasonable just just ask so much more of yourself on a day-to-day basis than you think you can and that other people's would even ask of themselves and um, then there'll be no excuse for your business sort of not succeeding and if you put in that level of hustle and that level of work there's nothing that that could stop you and that's the blueprint of Max's success. Yeah, I want to share one thing with your audience, actually. If people want to go and the, you ask me how I do it, and I think that, like I said, these are skills that anyone could benefit from in their own lives. Maybe you can't read minds, but if you could know what, say, your girlfriend was thinking or your boyfriend was thinking or your coworkers were thinking, this might be helpful. And so I've actually written a book on this, and I want to give your audience uh, a free copy of a chapter from this book. Uh, all they got to do is go to maxmajor.net slash influence, and they can uh, start reading minds. Uh, they can apply this at work, at home. I, I think this is the one skill that can really transform your business and your personal life is your ability to read others and your ability to influence yourself and those around you. And if, uh, if people just got this foundation, uh, there'd be nothing stopping them in their business. Thank you once again for coming in, Max. You got it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneur Decoded. For killer resources and free content, go to entrepreneurdecoded.com.